Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and love. hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching our reading is from isaiah 65 verses 17 through 25 for i am about to create new heavens and a new earth the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind But be glad and rejoice forever in what I am creating. For I am about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard in it or the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old person who does not live out a lifetime. For one who dies at a hundred years will be considered a youth, and one who falls short of a hundred will be considered a curse. They shall build houses and inhabit inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. For they shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be offsprings blessed by the Lord and their descendants as well. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. But the serpent, its food shall be dust. They shall not hurt or destroy on all of my mountain, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Dan Cook. I am the teaching pastor here at Genesis. It is uh, a pleasure, as always, to be with you here this morning. Uh, And thanks to those of you that are online with us today. Um, that's a wonderful option that we have, and I'm very glad that we have that. If you can't be here and still want to be part of things, still want to feel like you're part of a Sunday morning, it's broadcast live on our Facebook and on our YouTube channel. Um, so as long as people remember to hit the button, and we're good to go. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's me needling Nate. Don't worry about it. That's all good. It's all good. But we're glad to have you here. Thank you for being here with us online as well. So this morning's passage uh, from Isaiah 65 is interesting in that it's an Old Testament passage that talks a lot, a lot about New Testament ideas. And anytime you have that kind of intersection, uh, it leads me to ask some questions. And I think the question to be asked here this morning, and this is rhetorical, we'll have an all play here in a minute, but this is more of a rhetorical question. The question this morning is, what is the gospel? 
Which on the surface seems like it should be a fairly simple question to answer, right? I mean, that's kind of the center of being a Christian is understanding what the gospel is, right? But imagine that somebody who's not a Christian or somebody who's just interested, whatever, it comes up and asks you that question. Could you, in a couple of sentences, say, yeah, here's what the gospel is? It's not as simple as it might seem on the surface. I know I wrestled with it this week as I was thinking of this sermon. And I think the truth is that the gospel is so big and so all-encompassing that if you asked 100 people, you'd get 100 different answers. And some of them might be more correct than other answers, but I think, again, the gospel is large enough that I'm not sure I'd point at any particular answer and go, well, that's wrong. Because the gospel speaks to each one of us in our present time, in our present context, in our lives. God meets us where we're at, and so does the gospel. But I wanted to take a swing at it. So here's my best answer to that question, what is the gospel? And again, I don't preach this as the correct answer. It's an answer. And I would say this, that the gospel, remember, gospel just means good news. The gospel is that God has promised to restore and renew everything that is corrupted, everything that is broken in this creation. And God has sent Jesus and the Spirit to help lead us into participating in that restorative mission. I'll say that again. The gospel is, the good news is that God has promised to restore and renew everything that is corrupt and is broken in God's creation. And God has sent Jesus and the Spirit to help lead us into participating in that restorative mission. That's my best swing at the gospel. And Isaiah, so it's, there's, two, there's two parts to it, right? There's the promise part of it at the beginning, God's promise to renew, and then there's the leadership part of it where we get to participate, right? There's two parts to it. And that first part, that promise part, we see a version of that promise here in Isaiah 65. So to truly understand that, you have to understand a little bit about the history of it which is my favorite part, and nobody else's. But I'll keep it short, I promise. I promise I'll keep it short. Put your history hats on for a minute. The prophet in this chapter is writing to people that are a couple of decades past having returned from the Babylonian exile. Remember, in the late 6th century BC, the Babylonians came and conquered the Jews in, southern, in the southern kingdom of Judah, including ransacking and destroying the city of Jerusalem. They destroyed the temple, they destroyed the marketplaces, they destroyed the wall surrounding the city, and they took the people that they felt were valuable and sent them back into Babylon to work as, at best, indentured servants, more often just straight-up slaves. That was late 6th century. After about 50 years, the Persian Empire conquers the Babylonian Empire, and the Persian king Cyrus says, I don't really have any use for y'all, you can all go home. And many, though not all, of the Jews that were, had been dispersed into Babylon traveled back to Jerusalem, traveled back to that southern kingdom of Judah, and tried to restore things. So we're now a couple of decades past that point. The temple has been rebuilt, but not to its former splendor. It's nowhere near what it was in the time of Solomon. But there is a temple. They're starting to repair the wall, but the wall's not fully repaired. They're starting to repair the marketplaces, but those aren't fully repaired. And after 20 years people are finding themselves with a sense of hopelessness, a sense of despair. Because you've got to remember, folks that were in Jerusalem and then got sent to Babylon for 50 years and have now come back, spent a lot of that time in Babylon remembering the really good things about Jerusalem. Something we kind of do these days, right? We remember the good old days. We remember the times that seemed simpler, that seemed kinder, that seemed easier. But what we do often is we idealize the past. 
We forget the stuff that was hard. We forget the stuff that was bad. And we sort of just remember the good things. That's what they were doing. They're remembering all the great stuff about Jerusalem. And now they're back and they're remembering how hard it is to work and live and run a city in that kind of time. And they're frustrated and they're angry and they're feeling hopeless and they're feeling despair. And then there was the folks that were born in captivity in Babylon that grew up on stories of how wonderful Jerusalem was and how amazing the temple was and how all this idealized version of Jerusalem, they've now come back and realized, ooh, that's not the way it really was. So they're feeling hopelessness and they're feeling despair. And it's to that feeling, it's to that emotion, it's to that community that the prophet is speaking in this portion of Isaiah. Because they're thinking that they're trying to rebuild Jerusalem, right? They're trying to rebuild, re, rebuild this idealized version of it that they have in their minds. And that's where the, where the prophet is speaking into. Now, you have to remember with prophecy in, in biblical terms, we're not talking about Nostradamus. We're not talking about predicting the future. Biblical prophecy kind of comes down to two things. It usually comes down to some sort of warning and then a promise. And the first half of Isaiah 65, which is not in our text today, is the warning part is saying that if you keep trying to do things on your own, if you keep trying to live as the Lord of your own life, if you keep trying to live against the path that God has intended for you, bad things are going to come of it. Not because God is an angry God, not because God is mean, not because God is jealous and insecure and just needs people to constantly reaffirm him, but because we, as human beings, are part of a creation that has a design, that has a function, and when we operate against that design and we operate against that function, bad things tend to happen. That's why when you look around your apartment, your house, whatever it is, and you look at like cleaning products, they all have warning labels on them. Because when you use them against their design function, things go wrong. I was looking at like a bottle of Windex and it said, don't spray this near your eyes. <laughs> Who's spraying this near their eye? Well, somebody tried to clean their glasses once and blast and you know, went blind or whatever it was. And the company now has to say, look, don't spray the window cleaner into your eyes. When you use something against its design function, bad things tend to happen. That's a hyperbolic example, but you get my point. When you operate against your design, when you operate against your function, when you go your own way, bad things come of it. That's what the prophet is warning these people. But that warning is almost always in prophetic literature followed by a promise. And it's the promise that constitutes Isaiah 65. Now, just four chapters before this, in Isaiah 61, sits a text that Jesus plucked out and used in a story in Luke 4, which I want to talk about for a second. Isaiah is the second most quoted book in the Old Testament in the New Testament. Psalms is the most quoted one by a little bit, but Isaiah is right there. So you remember, in Luke 4, Jesus is walking into the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, right? That's a big deal. He's going to preach in his hometown. And he walks in, and I want to read this portion of Luke 4 for you. This is in chapter 4, it starts at verse 16. It says, When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And this is Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2 that he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And Luke continues, And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, 
Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Big gasp. Because what Jesus is doing in that sense is announcing the arrival of the kingdom. This promise that you all remember from Isaiah is being fulfilled here and now and moving forward. But it starts with me here now today, Jesus says. He's announcing the arrival of the kingdom. But the arrival of the kingdom, that announcement, then elicits a pretty obvious question. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What is the kingdom actually going to be like? And how does that connect to us? And that's what this promise of Isaiah 65 is describing for us. So it addresses a list of issues in the passage that was specific to their context and their time. When it talked about infant mortality, when it talks about early death, when it talks about homes and businesses being ravaged by war, that was very much something that spoke to the period of time that these folks were in, right? What they had been through in the exile, what they were going through in trying to rebuild this time, it speaks directly to those issues and the brokenness and the destruction that needed to be fixed in their time and place. And while I think it can be dangerous to pluck current context and drop it into biblical text, there are times where it works. And I think this is one of those times. And that's going to lead us into our all play today. Remember, for those of you who are new, all plays are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the soloist. So when we look at our world today, think about the brokenness. Think about the things that need to be fixed, the things that need to be set right. And what kind of things come to mind? What's most broken in our world today? And you can just shout out an answer. You don't even have to raise your hand like John, but you can if you want. Many of the teenagers that I work with don't know that there's going to be a future. And uh, that goes to the hopelessness. Yeah. Cassandra says that many of the teenagers that she works with don't know that there's going to be this future and it echoes the hopelessness that we see in this passage. That's excellent. Thank you, Cassandra. What else? It doesn't have to be based on this passage. It can be. I mean, infant mortality is still a problem in our world, and people dying before they should is still a problem in our world. But what other brokenness do we see? What other problems do we see in our world? Still a huge gap between haves and have-nots. Roxanne says there's still a huge gap between haves and have-nots. Excellent. Thank you. What else? Bob says the difference between the us and them mentality and the we promise. Excellent. Thank you, Bob. Nate. Kristen Powell Online says the racism we're experiencing in our country today. Kristen Powell Online says the racism that we're experiencing in our country today. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Nate, for stretching your voice. I appreciate that. Anybody else? John says the actual world itself is falling apart with climate change and all kinds of other issues. The brokenness that they saw in their time that was leading to this sense of despair and hopelessness is not functionally different than the brokenness we see in our world today. But Dan, if Jesus was announcing the, the coming of the kingdom in the time of Isaiah, why, why hasn't it been fixed? Why isn't it better now? Well, in some ways it is better. And in some ways it's not. But Jesus never said, this is when the kingdom's arriving. It's the coming of the kingdom is now, and it's going to be played out over time. You might also be asking, okay, Dan, this is Isaiah. This is Old Testament. That's Old Covenant. We operate under a new covenant, right? 
So it's not really about fixing the things that are here and now. It's about getting to heaven, right? Saving souls, winning people over, curing them of their sin and getting them off to heaven and into paradise for their ever and ever and ever. Amen, right? That's, that's what it's about, isn't it? Is that really what the New Testament says? Mm. I want you guys to do something. Help me out here. So take out your liturgies if you don't have them out in front of you. And I want you to look at a couple of verses in Isaiah 65. And I want you to read those verses as I tell you, as I, in your mind, not out loud, but read them to yourselves as I read passages from Revelation, okay? So let's start with uh, verse 17. So take a look at Isaiah 65, 17, and listen as I read a couple, uh, two and a half verses here from Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. Do you see the echoes of Isaiah in Revelation? It's right there, isn't it? All right, now look at verse 19. And I'm going to read a couple more verses. Look at verse 19 in Isaiah 65 as I read. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Do you see the echoes of Isaiah in Revelation? It's right there. It's right there. So there's a couple of key details, or at least one key detail that I want to highlight here, which is that God's kingdom, ultimately, the kingdom of God, is here. Not in some faraway heavenly realm, not in some other reality, not in some other dimension. There's a new, going to be a new heaven and a new earth together here. And I've stressed this before in previous sermons, and I know I will stress it again in future sermons, but this is an important idea. Why? What's the practical element here? Why is this important? Why do I keep beating this drum? I keep beating this drum for two reasons that I want to discuss today. The first reason is that that sense of hopelessness, that sense of despair that people were feeling then, that maybe some of us are feeling now, is combated by faith in God's promise. I don't believe the opposite of faith is unbelief. I don't believe the opposite of faith is atheism. I think the opposite of faith is apathy. The opposite of faith is staring into that great, massive yaw of hopelessness and despair of the brokenness that's in our time and place and going, that's too big for me. I can't do anything about it. I give up. We were talking about that in this week's book study, which y'all should sign up for next time because it's been pretty awesome. And not because I'm leading it. <laughs> A little bit because I'm leading it. Uh, <laughs> But we're talking about injustice that we find in our world and how that can seem overwhelming, it can, like, especially systematic injustice that we see around us. How do I, as an individual, combat this system? How do I fix this huge problem? And the key is to understand that it isn't for any single one of us to fix this huge problem. It's to have faith in God's promise and figure out what is ours to do. What is our part to play in that fixing of that system, in bringing about the kingdom? And that's a difficult thing to get your head around. It requires prayer, it requires meditation, it requires communal discernment. But that's how we end up with things like the basketball breakfast deal that we do once a month. That's how we end up with things like the food drive. That's how we end up with narrative circles and scripture circles. And that's why we do book studies and we do Bible studies and we do things like that. Because that's where we learn what is ours to do. What part do we play 
in bringing about God's kingdom. And that leads me to the second point. Faith in God's promise is how we battle apathy. And faith in God's promise is important because it focuses on what we're doing right here, right now. Because what we're doing right here, right now, matters. It matters. N.T. Wright puts it this way, and it's kind of a long quote, but it's brilliant. He says, The point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. And this is my favorite part. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving, for, loving your neighbor as yourself, those things will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present, a lo, present life a little, uh, a little less beastly, a little more bearable until the day when we leave it behind altogether. These things are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. Thank you. Amen. What we do here and now matters. We're not just white-knuckling it through this life till we get to the good place. We were created with a purpose. We were created with meaning. We were created for a job. We have a job to do. And that may vary slightly for each one of us. And it's not for me to stand up here and say, your job is this and your job is that. That's not how that works. That's why we require the leadership of Jesus and the Spirit, the guidance from those folks, so that we can figure out what is it for us to do individually. And there's plenty of good things going on here at Genesis, but there's always room for more. If there's something on your heart, if there's something on your mind, come talk to staff. Our resources are somewhat limited, but we'd love to be able to help and love to be creative and love to find new ways to do new things. We have a purpose. We have a job to do, and that is participating in the restoral and the renewal of God's kingdom, of all of creation, bringing about little pieces of the kingdom here and there. That's what we were designed to do. That's the function of the human existence. That's what we're here for. We're not here to bring about some good old days, some idealized version of the past. We're here to participate in the stream that is leading us towards ultimate full renewal and restoration, the promise that God has made to renew and restore all things. We get to participate in that flow. It is not on each individual one of us or on the community as a whole to do all that work. God's got that. But God works in and through each one of us to help bring little bits about that until it all comes true in the end. Amen? We find that purpose. We find that function and that purpose and meaning in remembering the gospel, in remembering God's promise. So I started today asking a question. What is the gospel? How would you describe the gospel to somebody who wasn't familiar with it? The gospel, the good news, is God's promise, is Jesus' leadership, and is the Spirit's guidance in bringing about the kingdom in renew, a renewed and restored creation here on earth a new heaven and a new earth together in this reality. And we not only get to be part of it in the end, we get to be part of bringing it about. That's the gospel. Christ came to lead us. Christ died to build the bridge between us and God so that we can be participants in bringing about God's kingdom.
where there is no more death and there is no more pain and there is no more brokenness and there is no more of all of the things we listed earlier and all of the things that were affecting people hundreds of years ago. All of that brokenness, all of that pain and suffering, it all goes away. It's not an idealized past. It's something more brilliant than we can possibly imagine that we are working towards. But we get to be part of it. Not only we get to be part of it, we are designed to be part of bringing that about. And that can be easy to forget in the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering. But part of how we combat that sense of apathy that threatens to overwhelm us is to remember God's promise. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. We are part of something that's important. We are part of something that is going to be ultimate and beautiful and wonderful and better than we can possibly imagine. And we get to do that right here, right now. And that's why what we do in the lives we lead and the faith that we live out is so important. It matters. What we do now matters because it's part of this ultimate reality that God has promised us. And we have to cling on to that. We have to cling on to that. What is the gospel? The gospel is God's promise for a totally renewed, totally restored, wondrous, glorious creation. And that he has sent Jesus and the Spirit to guide us into helping that restorative mission. Amen? Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.